0: On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to continue our discussion on strategic theory. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jay Haley's first wife, Chloe Madonna, and her view of strategic therapy. And then we're going to kind of discuss the last theory under this umbrella of strategic, which is Milan Systemic. And this particular therapy is very interesting because it uses counter-paradox to address change. And I know we've discussed that these particular therapies are complex and often use paradox and counter paradox and sometimes even reverse psychology to facilitate change. So we're gonna dive deeper into these topics and I hope that you can kind of grab some of the major concepts and not necessarily be bogged down by all the specific interventions and techniques that these therapies utilize. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy, and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Alright, welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. Today we're going to be continuing and concluding our discussion on strategic theory. It's been a lovely week here in Minnesota. The temperature got to 50, 55 degrees, and I was able to get the motorcycle out for a spin and really get to enjoy that nice weather, which has been almost parallel opposite to the extreme frigid temperatures that we have been experiencing up until this point. Unfortunately, today it has dropped back down into the 30s. And there is snow up and coming on the forecast. And so it's always a joy living where there's very extreme changes in the temperature. And I know that's not necessarily for everyone. And I hear oftentimes, why do you live in such a cold place? Why don't you live in like the south or closer to a tropical climate area? And I always joke that I really enjoy the cold. I've always enjoyed the cold. And so this is the perfect type of place for me to live and to reside because often it's very cold. (laughs) And even in the summers, it doesn't get too warm and there's not a massive amount of humidity. And for some reason, I just cannot stand humidity. Now, maybe that will change as I get older. But at this stage in my life, humidity is not something that I enjoy. And I'll never forget the time that I did live in the South, just experiencing some of those sticky humid days where it almost felt like you couldn't breathe and that you were drenched all the time and you were never really dry because of the sweat and the heat and the humidity in the air. And so today we're, we're gonna dive in, starting out with concluding kind of Jay Haley's strategic theory by talking about his wife. And really this is not gonna be a long discussion, Even though she contributed overall to a lot of the theory, her specific changes or differences can really be summed up between what she saw as the interaction between love and violence. And she is still living. And that's kind of unique because a lot of these therapies that we've been talking about and we've been discussing, at least theories from the past, most of the founders and the original proponents are deceased. And so it's kind of interesting that when I talk about this, this person is still alive. They, you know, you never know. They might hear this podcast and call me up and say, James, you're completely wrong. <laughs> and how you envision what I uh, did to strategic therapy and theory. But Chloe is still alive. And what's interesting is, is that people who are familiar with Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, who... Has some like Netflix specials and things like that, and conferences and just areas where he speaks motivationally. They actually teamed up to kind of start a new field of strategic intervention. At least that's what I've heard it referred to as. And they've also co founded the Council for the Human Rights of Children, uh, which applies those strategic interventions for protection and healthy upbringing at risk children. So That's just kind of an interesting tie-in with her work on strategic and kind of how that connects to somebody that is currently popular in the field of motivational speaking. And so she kind of saw things of a struggle for power and control, hence the interaction between love and violence, but also a desire to be loved, a desire to protect and love others, and the ability to repent and forgive. And I think that adds... Some power to strategic theory that wasn't quite there before her work. And that's kind of all we're going to talk about there when we finish up Jay Haley's Strategic. And we're going to kind of move into Milan so that we can conclude our discussion on strategic theory. So now we're going to jump into Milan Systemic. And this theory had a strong influence by the MRI and Haley. And they felt that families get stuck in these developmental stages and that they see families are resistant and homeostatic. And the therapist is very distant and caused upon to expose information to the family, but not using insight or understanding to change them. And this is kind of what really separates this theory and makes it very unique, at least in my opinion and in the way that I myself do therapy. Because if you remember, the way I myself do therapy is very interventionist, and that the therapist is not distant, and that insight is utilized, and they tend to treat all families alike. And my personal belief is that every family is different, and therefore need different ways of connecting and relating to them. I'll never forget watching this therapy when I was in school, kind of watching it being done in old videos and things like that. And thinking, wow, this is a very complex theory. And part of me wondered how effective it actually was. And because it was something that was practiced mostly in Italy, and I have never seen it done personally other than watching old videos, I really don't know what the outcomes are of this type of therapy. So when I say personally, I always wonder that, I've never done the work or research to determine what those outcomes were. And part of that is just because it seems so different than the therapy that I do. And I remember I've talked in the past that therapists are often drawn, based on their own personal experiences, to the theories and practice of certain types of therapy that they end up utilizing. So what was interesting was with this is that The therapists kind of met together and they kind of formed a hypothesis of what was going on with the family. And they did this prior to meeting with the family and they speculated from kind of pre-session information that was given to them and they looked for things like problems and patterns and they kind of developed a plan of action on how they were going to address or look for things. And they also developed a plan on how they were going to approach things. So after they had hypothesized, they finally met with the family. And there was always a team of therapists, never just one therapist. One member of the team would meet with the family while the rest of the team would stand behind a mirror so that they could see what was going on. The therapist in the room would kind of test the waters and then they would kind of move in to determine and test the hypothesis that they had discussed about before meeting with the clients. And again, the therapist takes a neutral stance. They are not for one side or the other. There's no good or bad. And they focus their language in ways that were circular. So everything relates to something else. And they would ask each member the same question. So let's say they were talking about communication. And they would say, how long has this pattern of communication been going on between you and your daughter, for example? And then they would ask the daughter, how long has this pattern of communication been going on between you and your mom? Then partway through the session, they would then consult with the team behind the mirror. They would discuss kind of what their findings were. They would determine if they needed to kind of adjust that hypothesis, determine kind of what direction to go next. And oftentimes this is where we see those paradoxes and counter paradoxes. And then they would determine kind of interventions. Then they would go back with the family and then they would prescribe those often using those paradoxes and counter paradoxes and then the therapist and team would review the second half of how the session went after refine the hypothesis again determine any type of future questions or interventions and then would have the family eventually return to therapy but it wasn't right away there could often be a month and a lot of times they would not really suggest too much change in fact they would often prescribe or tell the family to keep doing what they're doing because they need to for the survival of the family hence where we're getting those paradoxes counter paradoxes even sometimes some reverse psychology and so when i address this therapy when i see this therapy i'm often perplexed because the way i do therapy is so different than this and i think for them just the introduction of new knowledge is enough to change the family And I don't necessarily disagree with that. And I don't see one size fits all. That maybe new information is enough. And sometimes there needs to be more. Or sometimes new information is enough and there can still be resistance to utilize that new information. And one thing about this therapy is often, at least in my opinion, very short as there's not a lot of sessions and at least in my opinion not a lot of follow-up after the sessions so it's kind of like real brief in the sense that there's this longer initial time frame when they meet when they go over the information on basically what we would consider an intake form so where the client has written down you know what they see the problem as and a little bit of information about their life, and then this group gets together and they review that, and they hypothesize based on that information alone, kind of what the problem is, kind of what interventions to use, what paradoxes and counter-paradoxes would be helpful for the family, right? So basically, they're synthesizing new information in which to give to the family, and they're going to do this through the method of circular questioning, in a way, because They're not necessarily just gonna tell the family what that new information is, but they're going to gear their circular questions to bring that information out to the surface. And that's where it kind of gets very challenging because everything that they are doing is based off hypothesis. Now don't get me wrong, they give themselves opportunities to redefine, readjust that hypothesis. But can you see now with postmodern ideology and culture, where we're already getting into some preconceived notions and biases that can easily find their way into hypothesizing. Now, hypothesizing is not wrong in and of itself. Every therapist is at some point in time during a therapy session going to make a hypothesis and then try to determine if that hypothesis is accurate based on information within the session. But I often feel like in the moment, in the present, in the therapy session, hypotheses like that are living. They're alive. They're relational. But when you're doing it ahead of time based off information on a piece of paper, it kind of deadens that in a way. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about this type of therapy because really I don't have the experience in it to be making moral claims about it. However, when I look at it from my frame of mind, that's some of the instant areas I wonder about. And like I said, I haven't done enough information or research to determine how they would see that. But that's kind of how I look at it as something I would like to know more about. How do you own or challenge preconceived notion and bias when dealing with these hypotheses? And almost dead in a sense, the process if you're doing it ahead of time on a piece of paper, and then when they meet with the client. You know, and the people kind of step back and they're looking through this mirror. They are, in a sense, testing out their hypothesis. And that's kind of the focus. And I'd be curious to see, you know, how that process behind the mirror looks. And I've seen, like I said, videos of it, you know, and they're kind of talking through the process of how they're going to redefine things, readjust things. But in the end, there's still not a considerable amount of time for them to do that. Right Because they're they're doing it in the middle of the session. So in a way, it's like they're taking a break and doing an extended session and taking a break in the middle to discuss these things and then coming back with the family and going again. So then the question is is, maybe you're very skilled and experienced, and you do this, and your hypothesis isn't horrifically off base initially. And what I get to is families are complex. Right, And I know that their hypothesis are not necessarily about, about the intricate details of family operation, but actually comes from that view of homeostasis and paradox and counter paradox and resistance to change. And yet at the same time, maybe you're not as experienced, hence why they have multiple people that are doing this. But still, let's say the team is not as experienced and the hypothesis is considerably off. And then they have to readjust midway through. And then now there's only that brief time. Now, here's kind of the canned system that is Milan, is that it's systemic in nature. So in the end, the interventions and the paradoxes aren't going to be considerably deep because basically information is enough to change the family. And yet, from my perspective, I feel like there needs to be more. I feel like there needs to be consistent Connection, relation. And that comes in the end to my belief that the therapeutic relationship is the most important thing. More postmodern ideologies and beliefs about relationships, connectedness, advocacy. And those things would put me in a place where I would want to advocate. So instead of being neutral, I would want to be connected. So instead of seeing good or bad, I would want to see good and good and go for win-win situation. And that's where I kind of really struggle with this system. And at the same time, I haven't seen it enough and utilized it enough because it was mostly utilized in a country that I'm not familiar with, in a language that unfortunately I'm not familiar with, during a time in which I was not alive and I can only study about And unfortunately, I just haven't done that much study. And so that's why I want to present this kind of last under the umbrella of strategic is because it's one of the things that I find very interesting. I find their paradox and counter paradox is very interesting. And yet to me, it's a very difficult therapy. And it may just be difficult because of my lack of understanding and not that it itself is not a good system of therapy. So I appreciate you staying tuned. This was a complex theory, and strategic is complex. And now we're going to move into an even more well-spelled-out therapy with lots of very specific interventions called structural therapy. And so we're going to dive into that next week. So I hope you're enjoying the content. I appreciate all my listeners. You guys have done just a, a great job of tuning in week after week and You know, I know I'm not maybe the best podcaster. I don't have maybe rock, you know, profoundly new and original content. And it's important. It's important for rural and isolated communities to kind of get a taste of mental health, understand what's going on. And that comes again from what I was just talking about, the belief that information alone can change. And yet sometimes it's not enough. So I thank you for staying tuned and I ask you to continue to stay tuned and share this podcast maybe with friends and family that can benefit. And I know we've talked about future content and there is future content coming up as we move forward. We're going to talk about all kinds of different topics and I'm excited for those future podcasts. So remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are, but you're not alone.